Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Good faith having that. First Timothy 1 and verse 15, the Bible says, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Titus chapter number 3 and verse number 8 this morning if I can just read one verse there the Bible states these words this is a faithful saying and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works these things are good and profitable unto men for a little while this morning I want to uh, teach along this mode Faithful sayings, all right? Faithful sayings, hallelujah. Will you join me right now? Let's ask God to touch our hearts and minds afresh today. Father, I come to you this morning. I'm grateful, Lord, to be able to be here, to be able to worship. God, the songs of Zion that have went forth today, God, that have been so rich. We felt your presence, and we're grateful for that as well, Lord. I pray, God, as we turn our attention to the Word of God, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, from these Scriptures. God, they bring us life. They bring us instruction. God, they're very helpful, Lord, to our everyday lives. God, and I need to hear, Lord, what your Word says to me as an individual, Lord, and as a church family today. God, I need to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us in this new year of 20,000 Lord 14 help us God to be attentive Lord God and accept God what the spirit may be saying to us Lord in this new year in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen the church say amen amen God bless you this morning and you may be seated faithful faithful sayings um this this phrase Faithful sayings, or the, 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 the term faithful sayings, uh, you see this, you see this pop up a few different times in the Word of God. You see it pop up a few different times in the New Testament scripture uh, in particular. As a matter of fact, about, about five times this phrase, this is a faithful saying, uh, comes about in the Word of the Lord. Uh, in one of those five occurrences, it, it says true saying, but uh, in the original language, it is the exact same words. And, and so they're all found within what is known in the New Testament Scripture as uh, the pastoral epistles or the pastoral letters. And the pastoral letters are those uh, that consist of First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. And they are called pastoral because uh, they're written from the Apostle Paul to Timothy who at the time of the writing of 1 Timothy, Timothy was serving kind of like the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And so it's a pastoral epistle, 1 and 2 Timothy. And, And also Titus was serving as pastor of the church that was in Crete. So these three are known as the pastoral epistles and it's in these that we see this common phrase 
about this is a faithful saying. And it's in the pastoral epistles, I don't think it would be a grand surprise, that we find a lot of the subject matter of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus has to do with doctrine. It has to do with correction. It has to do with instruction. Uh, whenever Paul's speaking to Timothy and Titus, many times he's talking to them about even some church order that needs to be in place at, at Crete and at Ephesus. So he's, he's telling them about, he's instructing them. He, he's telling them about means of correction, those that would come unruly in the places that they are pastoring, how to contend and deal with that, and speaking to them about doctrine. Amen. And we see even Paul. Paul seems to consistently do this, not just in the epistles that are pastoral, but in all of the epistles that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote in about two-thirds of the New Testament, he did write uh, whenever he was addressing the different churches at Rome or Corinth or uh, Thessalonica or all these different churches that he even addressed. Many times his subject matter was doctrine. His subject matter was correction or instruction. And the reason being, I think it's important that we understand why Paul concentrated so much so upon doctrine whenever he spoke to the churches. And why he concentrated upon doctrine whenever he spoke to the pastors, Timothy and, and, and Titus of the churches. Because doctrine would be that, that main idea or that core foundation uh, for Christianity as they knew it then and even as we know it now. And the reason why Paul was underscoring so much the idea of doctrine and the beliefs and these foundational truths that the church is built upon is because there were many false doctrines that were circulating. You know, it's kind of the old uh, concept and idea we've made a mention of several times that, you know, they say the way that you catch counterfeit money, money is not familiarize yourself with what's counterfeit, but familiarize yourself with what's true. Uh, what, what is the right true dollar bill? And that is for, that's a hundred dollar, that's what a real hundred dollar bill feels like. And, and so if you uh, uh, acquaint yourself with the real, you'll know when a false passes by. And so I believe a similar type of approach was for the Apostle Paul. I got to acquaint people with the true doctrine. Uh, the churches and the pastors of those churches. They got to know what the true doctrine is. So that whenever something false might pass by, they'll know right away, this, this is uncouth, this is not right. Amen. And so telling them about doctrine was a way for the churches and the pastors to be able to combat false doctrine. Amen. And keep it out of their assemblies. And so I hope that we have not, uh, you know, they, sometimes people use the label, well, you know, we've matured uh, in such a way that that means that you're beyond some things. But I hope we never so, quote unquote, mature in the church that we don't still have a founded, specified, set aside spot for doctrine. Still being taught and still being preached because there are various new doctrines that are popping up left and right even in our present day. And Bishop and I was just talking the other day about certain things happening in our world or even if you will the church community and you know the Bible says that he said that if possible he would even have the very elect be deceived if possible. And so I think that's us that are mature. 
<laughs> the very elect, if possible, would be deceived. So I, I don't want to fall among that number, so I'm going to acquaint myself with the doctrines so I can combat any false doctrines that may arise, and they're going to rise and continue to rise and even become more numerous in this last day. Amen. So I need to know what is right, the unshakable doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, what he left unto his disciples, unto his apostles. Amen. So that's what Paul was doing. Even a fourth century historian, Eusebius, he reported that when the apostles died, he said a conspiracy of godless air arose through deception of false teachers who arrogantly propagated their insidious lies in opposition to God's Word. So it's evident that even before Paul even died, uh, that this was coming on the scene. So he knew he was going to have to come against these godless heirs with the founded truth of doctrine. Now, the scripture says, now this is a faithful, everybody say faithful. Faithful saying. Faithful saying. I'm not talking this morning about these little things that become what we might classify as little pithy sayings. And whenever I say that, I mean uh, we've all heard the little sayings of a stitch in time saves nine. And maybe you haven't, okay? <laughs> okay, how about this? It's not the size of the dog in the fight. Can anybody finish it? It's the size of the fight in the dog. We've all heard little things like that. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Now that has some biblical basis actually in it. Uh, the way to a man's heart is through what? Right. Now those are pit like little pithy sayings. But I'm talking about faithful sayings. The word saying in both of these scriptures that I read to you this morning and in the other places of scripture that we may get to, these faithful sayings can mean doctrine. Sayings, the word sayings can mean doctrine or position, or declaration. And so Paul was relaying to these two pastors, Timothy and Titus, if I could say it like this, this is a faithful doctrine. This is a faithful doctrine. Faithful meaning a trustworthy doctrine. A dependable doctrine. A steadfast doctrine. In other words, these are not another little pithy saying. This is not another flimsy, whimsical little phrase. Amen. But they held the content, amen, that they had some content, they had some meat to them, if you will. These pastors, these churches could sink their teeth in these. These were sure. These were absolute. Amen. It, it, whenever we look at this idea of these are faithful sayings, uh, something does not, or a sentence or a phrase does not become a saying just because it was said one time. Mostly. Or, or because it's said infrequently. Mostly. But a thing or a phrase or a sentence becomes a saying when it is said, and it's said again, and it's said again. Probably in some of y'all's households, you got some faithful sayings and not doctrines but you got you got some sayings that happen in your house maybe it's something that you and the kids and everybody knows you say that and you all know what that refers to it's something that happened in the past but it's just kind of a little joke among you all you have a certain sayings in your house and the only reason why that that is uh, faithful or so steadfast and known among you is because you say that over and over and over again 
uh, whenever my wife and I was dating, we had a faithful saying, and, and uh, it was just kind of a joke between her and I. Uh, and, of course, this is when we was dating. We were not married, and we always said, hey, what yours is mine, what mine is yours, except for the money. Amen. And that just was, and we wasn't serious about it. It was just, just a, a little saying. And we did that frequently. And since we did it frequently, it became a saying among us. And so the apostle was saying, these things that I share with you, pastors, this is a faithful saying. The things that I speak to you, it's not just because this is just mentioned once and then bypass, but this is a faithful doctrine, a faithful saying. This is something that has been said and been repeated and reiterated again and again and again. This is not a cheap saying. This is not an unimportant saying. But this is something that has been repeated over and over again. And so whenever Paul wrote to Timothy, we see that he focuses on the doctrine. And he does as well in Titus, yet he takes it to another level of accountability because he also emphasizes not just on the doctrine, but the doing of the doctrine. Amen. The duty, if you will. And so he began to protect it in 1 Timothy. And we see later in 2 Timothy that the Apostle Paul through his writing seems to be proclaiming it. But in Titus, he was asking that they would actually practice the doctrine. Now, doctrine is vitally important. In John 18 and verse number 19, and you'll have to turn there and, and my dear helper up there, I'm, I'm sorry, but he may get it here eventually. It's just not an easy thing to get that on the screen with the software that we have John 18 and verse number 19 the setting of the scripture that we have here this morning is that Jesus Christ has already been apprehended by the soldiers from the garden uh, they're starting to put some accusations together toward him uh, there's going to be questions asked him and their, 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 their key thing is they want to crucify the Lord and the Savior. And so after they, they have grabbed him and they have taken him away and they're going to take him to the high priest so the high priest can speak to him, we have this particular setting, the scripture of John chapter 18 and verse number 19. And the high priest, the Bible says, has asked Jesus of, look, this is the questions he asked. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. So whenever Jesus comes in before the high priest who was at that time Annas, when he came in before the high priest, he, he inquired of Jesus when he was brought in about his disciples and about his doctrine. Now think for a moment. All the things that the high priest could have questioned Jesus about. All the things that he could have probed him about. He could have been like Pilate and asked him, art thou the king of the Jews? But that was not the question on the table for this particular day. The two major points of concern for the high priest was about his disciples, or might I just expand on that a little bit, his how many do you have, his making of disciples, and what his doctrine concerned. And Jesus' reply to the high priest was this, hey, I've taught in the synagogues. I've taught in the temple. And all of my teachings and what I believe, none of these things have been hid from anybody. I haven't done any of this in secret. Everybody knows what I've done. I've plainly taught them in the temple and in the synagogue. And so Jesus urges the high priest. He says, if you want to know what I, my doctrine is, he said, ask those that have heard me. If you don't want to know what my doctrine is, ask those that have heard me. And there's no better place to start asking about Jesus' doctrine than to start asking, amen, his disciples. 
Those that lived with him and slept with him and was there seemingly almost at every occasion of his public ministry. Amen. Ask my disciples about my doctrine because if anybody should know about it, it should be those that heard me, particularly if you will, it should be my disciples. They're going to know what I taught. They're going to know what I believe. They're going to know what I stand for. And can I say today that it is a tragedy that if we cannot say in our own lives, just ask the people around me what I believe. Amen. It's a tragedy if, if, if the people around us don't know where we stand and what we cater to and what, what, what we endorse as truth from God's word. But Jesus, you just ask those that are around about me. And so that was the very case of what happened. I don't know how far reaching this conversation went between the high priest and the Lord, but I, 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 I tend to believe that it was common knowledge perhaps among the high priest soldiers that were there in that vicinity that were servants to the high priest, near kinsmen, if you will, to the high priest. Because it's in all of this setting that whenever Jesus entered into this area with the high priest, there were a couple of disciples that were following along with the Lord. The disciple whom Jesus loved, amen, that we know to be John, and that within itself is always something very curious to me because whenever you see the statement that the disciple whom Jesus loved, you find that in the book of John, which John wrote. And that is always comical to me. Uh, he, John's writing, he's pinning uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he's the disciple. I don't know if he was kind of, <laughs> I know all scripture inspired of God, but it's just kind of funny uh, that the one that's writing the book is the one that's saying he's the one that Jesus loved. But I think we all should feel like that. I'm the one who Jesus loves. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, and, and so it was John, and it was also Peter that was along with them in that vicinity now Peter in this setting has already denied the Lord once Jesus said he would and he's already done this once but if you'll note now there are some conversations that begin to happen it's shortly after this Jesus telling them hey why don't you talk to those who have heard me and you'll know what my doctrine is what I believe what I stand for it's shortly after this then Bishop that we see some of the soldiers amen, that begin to question Peter and say, aren't you one of those disciples? The high priest had asked, what about your disciples? What about your doctrine? And now he says, well, talk to those who heard me. And here they are. And they're asking Peter. He says, aren't you one of his disciples? Peter says, no, that's not me. Then there's a little girl that asks him the same, a servant girl that's questioning him. Aren't you one of them that was with him? Uh, with Jesus and then again Peter denies the fact that that was him and I, I'm just asking us a question here today could it be that these people these soldiers this girl wanted to question one of Jesus's disciples to find out about Jesus's doctrine that he taught yeah in both instances after this for Peter Peter denied being a disciple of Jesus and if you will, missed the opportunity to share his doctrine. Amen. 
Missed the opportunity to share his doctrine. And I, you know, the Bible in different places, it says after he did that the third time, the Bible speaks in a certain one of the Gospels how the Lord was evidently looking at Peter and Peter looked to the Lord and he remembered what the Lord said, how he would deny him thrice before the cock crow, amen, a couple of times and he was sorrowful of heart. I wonder what type of embarrassment that may have been to the Lord whenever he said, you can just go to those that heard me and they'll tell you and they went, but they received no response response amen that may have a little bit to do with then why the apostle paul is coming up with these faithful doctrines and faithful sayings for the churches after the christ would have risen and ascended to heaven and the pastors of those churches because we don't want this same type of thing occurring again Uh, we want people to be able to come to the churches and know what you believe oh yes Listen to me this morning. Please listen to me. It's important that people are able to come to the church and know what we believe. In my years of evangelism, I I held a revival one particular year uh, for a home missions church. And by all of my estimation, Brother Terry, it 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 was the grandest home mission church that I had ever went to to preach for, ever. And I, I preached for several different ones. But that was just a bang-up job home missions church. I mean, they had it going on. Their facility was nice. Their technology was nice. Uh, they, they, they taught or his wife and stuff. They taught home Bible studies consistently. They were seeing growth. Uh, we were the first evangelists that they ever had as a home missionary church. And we had several that got baptized and received the Holy Ghost in that revival. But uh, just sitting with this pastor, uh, he all had this, and I don't remember right now to the, my memory escapes me what the name of the church was, but the name of the church did not give you any details concerning what they believed. And he told me he positioned that as such. He didn't want out in that apostolic or Pentecostal or anything like that. He just wanted something so that people wouldn't have no uh, ill feelings or intimidation right from the go and they could come in, so and so forth. And, and, and so that is the case. Yet today, as I stand here today, Bishop, that whole thing has dissolved. That man is into false doctrine. What are you saying? I'm saying... This is a faithful saying. And it's a saying because it's said over and over and over again. And I don't want to be a Peter that whenever people come unto me and try to inquire about what the doctrine of God is, they don't know because I deny it or deny that I'm a disciple. I think the Apostle Paul was trying to cut that off at the past with the churches and the pastors. If they come to your church... They should know your doctrine. If you're a pastor, they should know your doctrine and what you believe. This is something that should not be said one time or just on the weekends or whenever the crowd's down, but on your biggest crowds when the most people are there, you need to utter from the pulpit, from a soapbox, whatever. These are the doctrines, the Word of God. This is what the Word of God says. This is what Jesus taught the disciples. And that's what we teach and stand on here. There should not be anybody ever leaving scratching. I wonder what they believe. We, we, we don't need that. We, we, I, I don't believe in this idea. We'll just let them walk in the unknown for a while and let them just be guessing. No, 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 no. I want you to know right now, this, I, I don't like dealing with, I don't like dealing with organizations and places like that. You know, 
I don't like going on a car lot and trying to figure out if there's, you know, the people that take you or the people that's got the best interest. I don't like, you know, just let me know where you're standing right now and we can, you know, we can either engage in this relationship or break it up. Amen. So I don't, you know, I don't want to be some, some deceiver and, and think, try to lead people this is what we believe when we really don't believe that. You know, wine them and dine them and the Lord just let them start sitting there for a while and let them start painting their ties and let them start doing all this and, and maybe sooner or later they'll find out. No! Let them know that's fine right up front. This is what we believe. We believe that there is baptism in Jesus' name according to the word of God by immersion. Amen. We believe that there is one God. Yes, he may have manifested himself. Amen. In the Father of creation, the Son of redemption, and the Spirit that came back on the day of Pentecost. But there's not three persons. There's just one person, and that's Jesus Christ. All of God that you'll ever see is in the face of Christ Jesus. We need to say this is a, and it needs to be faithful. It needs to be preached on Sunday, on Wednesday, on Friday. Any opportunity, we got to let it be made known. So it doesn't bother me when someone says, that church, as they would say, is a Jesus-only church. I'm a Jesus-everything church. Or that church, it doesn't bother me. Where they say, well, that church is known for That doesn't bother me. Why? Because at least they're not walking in here blindfolded as though, well, I don't know if they do or they don't. You know where we stand. Why? Because it's a faithful doctrine. It's a faithful saying right here. Amen. Amen. So it overwhelms me. The Lord says, this is what you should do. Couldn't find that, though, in Peter. He found, he found reconciliation. He found forgiveness. It's amazing what he wasn't willing to do then. He stood up then on the day of Pentecost and blasted the thousands. This is what we believe. Something got fixed in the process. Something, a lesson got learned somewhere in the process. And this, this was necessary for their day and ours. We read in Acts chapter 17 the situation on, on, on what was known as Mars Hill, that uh, when the apostle went there, the people on Mars Hill seemed to be ones that constantly opened their lives to unprofitable discussions. The Bible even says in Acts 17, and you may again need to turn there, Acts 17 and verse, excuse me, verse number 21, this is the apostle Paul now. He, he's... he's He's making an inroad into the lives of everybody with this doctrine idea. Even then, these faithful doctrines, trustworthy, dependable, steadfast sayings, if you will. And he lets them know in verse number 21, it's speaking of that area. He says, for all the Athenians and the strangers which were there spent, which were there, spent their time in nothing else but to tell or to hear some new thing. That's what these people did. And they get around Mars Hill and say, what do you believe? What do you think? <clears throat> what do you... And I, I want to emphasize that. What do you think? We're at Mars Hill today. That's right. That's so true. Because... And I have nothing against all this stuff. We have... There's uh, small groups that people have in churches. I don't know if people's had success with it. I have no problem, you know, with that. But some of the small group material and the way that they order all this is, you know, they have a leader, they have a group of people, you know, come and set together. They bring up a scripture. And it's not, this is what the scripture says. 
but there's a pondering between one another and it's what do you think it says and so we can just learn from one another and, and I'm not going to step on your idea of what it might be or your idea we're just going to take all those like a big uh, mixed salad and throw them in a the bow and put some dressing on it you know what do you think it says and so we have all these people on Mar Hills that's the way it was people bringing their own philosophies and their own ideas and saying man what, 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 what so here's some new thing I wonder what do you think about that well you know what that sounds kind of good and that might be I'll just take a break off a little bit of that that I like and add it to my own and you know we got something going on here and that was the type of arena that Paul even entered in at Mars Hill and they were so disrupt you remember the scripture as he was traveling up the way they had all these altars to God you know and they didn't want to leave anybody out don't want to transgress on what somebody might think <laughs> that as he was passing by the way he said he's seen an altar to an unknown God <laughs> he said, well, I passed by, I seen that. He said, well, that unknown God, he said, I want to declare unto you. <laughs> and he did, started to declare truth and doctrine to those people. Amen. Amen. Someone say amen. amen. Hallelujah. And so, so we learned that then here in the scripture. Now notice, if you'll go back to 1 Timothy, excuse me, 1 Timothy, chapter number one and verse number 15. It says, this is a faithful saying or that this is a steadfast uh, doctrine. And look, and worthy of all acceptation. And note this now. And here is the doctrine. Here is one of the five. That Jesus Christ, that Christ Jesus, got it backwards there, came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Paul saying to Timothy, and no doubt for his church as well, their benefit. He says, this faithful doctrine, he says, this is worthy of all acceptation. This, this is worthy. This is good for everybody to receive. This is good for everyone to accept. On a couple different modes. Number one, this is good for everyone to accept because everyone has sinned. This is not a doctrine that's set for a certain sect of people. Uh, it's not for those of high class or low class or whatever, or a certain race. This is for all, because all have sin. Scripture tells us in Romans, we've read it many times before, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We understand that. We understand that Adam and Eve's uh, transgression in the garden put... Uh, if you will, us in a bad way as far as being born into this world. We're born into that Adamic nature and so there's sin in our lives. David said he was shapened in iniquity. In sin did his mother give birth to him. So we, we've all sinned. So this doctrine is applicable to Paul McGee. And if there's anybody that would say, well, you don't know where I've been or how far I've went. I think it's important. There's no adjectives on the sinner. It just says sinner. There's no other explanation about it. And so if you say, well, you don't know how far I've been. Whatever the list may be that you've done or that you've said or actions you've done, what, however it may be, whatever uh, uh, you know, item or label that's on it, let me ask you this. Was it sin? Yes. That makes you a sinner. Christ Jesus came into the world to save hallelujah 
Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in that this morning. So whatever your station in life, whatever it's been up to this moment of time, if whatever you've said or done or life that you live, if it's been categorized as sin, then that labels you at the base moment a sinner. But what that does is put you in the exact place you need to be in order for Christ Jesus to save you. Reach down. The Bible says he can reach to the uttermost. I don't care how far you may feel like you are from him. He can reach to the uttermost. And one of the purposes for him coming was so that he could save us, you sinners. This is an acceptable saying for everyone. This does not just apply to just a certain few. It applies to us all. It applies to us all. Hallelujah. He, grind, he died for us all, not just for a select group. Not just for a few in his era or culture of time. It was for us all. And so, really, in this doctrine, this doctrine, this little phrase doctrine that is very faithful, and there's a lot that's really in that, if you really consider it. There's a lot that's in it. This little phrase, even when we begin to consider Christ Jesus. Christ that speaks of the anointed or the Messiah. Speaks of his office. The Messiah. Jesus. That Jehovah who saves of the Old Testament. Amen. He was born through the womb of a woman in the New Testament. And we called his name Jesus. Because Matthew one twenty one, where the angel came to speak unto Joseph and Mary's already with child, he told him early on, he shared the purpose for Christ, for Jesus, even before he was ever born. He said, Joseph, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Right from the beginning, before he's ever born, the doctrine was being laid out before he was ever born. Christ Jesus is going to come into the world to save sinners. That's going to be one of his primary purposes. It was his mission, his mantra, to save sinners. And here's the thing, folks. As the church... As the bride of Christ, we must share his passion. As the bride of Christ, we must share his passion. In other words, the church should be tapping into this reason for his existence when he came. If his purpose, one of his purposes was to save sinners, then the purpose of his bride, you know, this kind of happens, you know, when you get married. There is no Lone Rangers. You're in this thing together. Missions, purposes, ideals. You get in this thing together. Amen. Wish I had some husband and wife that was with me here to say amen. I'm <laughs> in this thing together. Amen. And so if I'm his bride and a passion of his is the salvation of sinners. I need to adopt that as the church. That it would be us as a church to help save sinners or at least, if you will, point them to the one who can save. Amen. A man asked one time, he asked, and again, this is acceptable for all of us. All of us sitting here. All of us, the platform, the back door included, acceptable for all of us. 
man was asked, he said, how did you get saved? He said, well, God did his part and I did mine. The man said, well, what was God's part? He said, what was your part? He said, God's part was the saving and my part was the sinning. And a lot, of, and a lot it just boils down to that. My condition set me up for his salvation. The Bible even spoke in one place of Scripture, either Galatians or Colossians, one of those. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ considered all men to unbelief because he was going to save those that did not believe, that were in unbelief. Put all of them in the prison of unbelief so that he could set them free from that prison. And so we all get into that status of being a sinner so that he can save us as sinners. And a verse of scripture, and it's been quite some time back. Actually, I think it was uh, back whenever Brother Zach, you may have did uh, your first uh, spotlight service. And uh, he was ministering up here and during the ministry of that and Rebecca Lambert and everything that took place that the scripture of Psalms 86.5 hit me so hard. And it's, I think since then it's become Uh, one of my favorite scriptures because the Bible says in Psalms 86 and 5 David is speaking and he says for thou Lord art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call up on thee that that bishop has become uh, among the list of others that I have but that's become one of my favorite verses because there's something in that that grabs my attention when I understand the great God of glory the creator of the universe the one that doesn't need me but gives me opportunity to be a part of his family that at any moment in time he's ready to forgive that's powerful to me that is overwhelming to me amen because whenever I begin to read the scripture that this is set in, and I think that verse alone and that phrase alone should breathe some consolation to every saint and sinner alike. Not just the sinners, but the saints too. Because I don't know about you, my crown's not on my head yet. Amen. Amen. And so it brings consolation to me that the Lord is ready to forgive. What I glean from that is, amen, through the scripture, is that he doesn't have to make preparations. It's not like, you know, you put in your uh, need or request or purchase order for forgiveness and let me make some arrangements, make a few phone calls and make a few little preparations and we'll FedEx that to you. No. He doesn't have to make preparations. He does not have to make arrangements. But the moment that you are in need of forgiveness, Christ is ready to offer forgiveness immediately. It's distribution on demand. Woo! My God, that's the reason why in your sinful life you could come to an altar of prayer and you were messed up and you were sin-stained and you realized through a preached word or through a song, whatever it was, that you were in need of forgiveness. You could come to an altar and the very same night, distribution on demand. Christ said, I was just waiting on you. I'm ready, ready to forgive. Woo! So if we're waiting for things just to get just right to be able to go to the Father and somehow maybe get forgiveness, we're all wrong. For one thing, you'll never get it all right. You just go on and come this morning and say, God, I'm in need of forgiveness. And he says, I'm ready. (laughs) 
Jesus. Immediately. He's ready. Whew. He's ready to forgive. <laughs> the Bible even speaks to us. Look. Look at David. I think it is in verse number three of that same chapter, Psalms 86 and three. David says, after that, he says, be merciful, merciful unto me, O Lord. Look now, for I cry unto thee daily. David says, I cry to you daily. So we're, we're speaking of a man here that knows something about what he's talking about. Because he's cried to the Lord daily. And preadventure, if it's been needed daily, the Lord's been ready to forgive. And I guarantee you, you look over the course of David's life, it hasn't always been peaches and cream. And unicorns and Skittles. He's had some, amen. He's had some messed up days in his life. He's had some days he's tripped every day. And there's been times he's went to the Lord, cried to him every day. But every day. It's not like the Lord brought up yesterday and said, hey, this is what happened yesterday. I'm sorry. You're, you're, we've allotted so much forgiveness for you. And so uh, we're going to have to wait till your forgiveness meter grows a little bit more intense and then come back and see us. No, 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 no. That's not the way it was. He might have just tripped up yesterday. But the next day David comes and says, I need some of that forgiveness. It's not like you're on a waiting list. Here's a rain check. No, I'm ready today. Just as willing as I was yesterday. I'm ready today to forgive somebody needs to hear me right now this morning because I feel in my spirit there's some that just feel like they've treaded to places and lines in their life with God that they cannot get back in his presence and receive that forgiveness like they received when they first came to God I'm here to tell you today scripturally you're wrong today he's ready to forgive you this morning hallelujah Jesus he's ready to forgive David cried to him daily. He had tried it. He was ready to, ready to, ready to forgive. And if you even notice, look at David as he comes to the Lord, as he begins even to approach the Lord in that scripture. He tells the Lord, hear me, Lord. He said, I'm poor and I'm needy. Boy, if that ever, if that ever expresses or describes us, that describes us. We are a, the poorest, neediest. You know, you ever been around people that are just needy? Well, as much as sometimes that may aggravate you, that's us to God. We're the neediest, neediest people, amen, that he has on this planet Earth. If you'll stand with me today. I didn't really get to Titus, but we'll get to him. He's there pastoring the church of Crete this morning anyway, so we'll get, we'll get to him. So we'll be looking at... Uh, I don't know, it just might take me just this Sunday and maybe another one, I don't know, but I want to look at these five faithful sayings. I want to look at these five, these five faithful, steadfast, amen, doctrines that the apostle, and we'll be able to go a whole lot quicker because I've already laid a little groundwork for all this, amen, this morning. Hallelujah, but if we can just bow our heads all across this place today, that first primary doctrine that he shared, Christ Jesus came into the world 
to save sinners. And let me tell you, that doctrine does not get old to this boy right here. Understanding where I came from and where I'm presently still walking through and how life sometimes, amen, subtracts things from me or I allow it to, amen, through mistakes, through flub-ups, through bad attitudes, through speaking when I shouldn't speak or doing when I should not have done. Amen, Christ came, amen, to save me to save me, save me from my sin as the angel told Joseph. I'm asking somebody here today, anyone that's here today, everyone, amen, that's here today, however you may classify your life, amen, at the very base of it all, we were and are and to some degree have been sinners or are sinners, but Christ came to save you this morning. I want you to know this altar is open and it's not that he's damning up and holding back forgiveness. He was here this morning before you ever got here and he was ready to forgive. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.